0: Our text this evening is from Ephesians chapter 1. We are very slowly working through this text. I'd like to read simply um, for the sake of context uh, from Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 10. Our text is taken from a section toward the middle of that um, Really, verses 8 and 9, not going to be doing all of uh, 9 even, but I'll, I'll make that clear when we work on the text. So let us turn our attention now to the Word of God, reading from verse 1 of Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we turn our attention to it, I'll ask you to remember that we are uh, in the middle of this uh, section. We've been going very slowly through Ephesians 1. Really, uh, sort of like a very expensive chocolate, you could wolf it down or you could let it just melt slowly in your mouth. Well, Ephesians is melting very slowly in our mouth week to week, as we think about each of these uh, wonderful sections. Now, the context, as you can see, and I did read it for this purpose, is starts with this verse 3, this blessing of God. So we're in the middle of blessing God. We're praising him for wonderful things that he has done. Uh, and here in verse 3, this is a kind of a standard form of blessing from a Jewish people at the time uh, when Paul writes this. It is found in the Old Testament as well. And this particular blessing in verse 3 is found in that same wording, um, first part of it anyway, in two other places in Scripture. Here we have this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what's repeated in 2 Corinthians and in 1 Peter but here we are talking about why we are blessing the Lord. And we have seen the reasons. There were three reasons here. But then Paul kind of expands on things that have been, that have been brought up in the course of this. So now he's expanding on certain elements in what he said, the reason why we're blessing God. And here we're looking at verses um, Uh, eight and nine, we're looking at this text that that, uh, begins in verse eight, and it begins, which? So it, you know, the context needs to be brought in here, and that's the end of verse seven. Notice it says, according to the riches of his grace. So that's the end of verse seven. That's the, that's what which refers to. So verse eight begins, Which? And it refers back to the riches of God's grace. So we're talking about God's grace. That's what Paul is expanding on. And he's going to expand on that a little bit in our verses, uh, in verses 8 uh, and uh, the first part in particular, verse 9. And here he says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to, to his good purpose, his good pleasure. So, that's as far as we're going now. Uh, we, This uh, last part is which he purposed in him we'll deal with next week. So, we're leaving off the latter part of verse 9. Now, you're, you're saying to yourself, why is he taking his scissors out and cutting out these little sections of uh, scripture? Well, it is not just arbitrary. Uh, this is something that if you study uh, this text and the form of it, this is a fairly uh, commonly known way of communicating in Paul's day. Uh, And we're dealing with the text in a more natural way of how it was presented in the original form. Uh, You should know that when the verses were invented by a book publisher in 1551, um, If you study that, you actually find that it was kind of an interesting way for people who didn't know Greek to learn Greek. It was set up with two Latin texts on either side of it with a Greek in the middle, and each verse was set apart as kind of isolated, so that you could study the Latin and then read the Greek in its isolated form, and then you go back to the Latin and read the Greek again and read that next little section. So verses originally, when they were invented, 1551, I'm not making this up. Uh, when they were invented, it was kind of to help people learn how to read Greek. It was still fairly new uh, in the West. People hadn't been studying it that long in the West. Uh, and it, kind of, it tends to isolate the text it makes these, you know, sections of scripture kind of self-contained, and I don't want you to get that impression. This is not a self-contained. This is a flow. It's a it's a flow meant for oral presentation, and each uh, portion is kind of marked out, uh, and it has this. Uh, it's like a spoke in a wheel. It contributes this little element to the. Uh, flow as it unfolds in praise of God. So we're going to isolate a little section just because of our time is limited. But this section here on God's grace really does have unity as I presented it to you, I believe. Um, and this is, this is something to, uh, I just wanted to let you know, this is not arbitrary. I'm not just, you know, doing this uh, willy-nilly. This is a uh, something that has a lot of study and careful attention to it when we look at this. Now, this, um, this section of our text is part of something that really continues from the previous verse, that the, the lavish grace poured out upon us. Uh, and this is, this is uh, more or less repeated from what Paul has said earlier, Uh, when he's talked about God gracing us in the Beloved, this is the end of verse 6, in whom we have redemption according to the wealth of his grace. So he graced us in the Beloved according to the wealth of his grace. That's the section we looked at last week. Uh, And this is a uh, place now, the portion we're looking at, that God has abundantly poured out upon us. He's lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, what we're dealing with here is, as the ESV, the English Standard Version, which I read, and there are other versions that follow this, there's a question here on what does uh, make known, uh, I beg your pardon, what does wisdom and insight, what does that connect to? So if, if you're looking at uh, an English version here on verse 8, I'm reading the ESV, English Standard Version, and it says, which he lavished upon us, comma, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So they are setting up for us the notion that wisdom and insight goes with making known to us that follows. But some people take wisdom and insight with lavished, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So it, this is a place where punctuation can change the meaning of the text. Um, and Paul didn't punctuate his text. It wasn't, it wasn't done in his day. So you're left to study this stuff and figure out how things work in their original form and make an educated judgment. Now, I think the ESV is correct. I think they're absolutely right And what's happened is in all all wisdom and insight making known to us is parallel with in love he predestined us earlier. It's the same kind of thing where you have this uh, putting of this phrase in all wisdom and insight making known to us is put forward in front to put a little focus on it. Uh, this This is why Paul did that. So that Uh, God is made known to us in all wisdom and insight. Now, brothers and sisters, you need to realize that if you are a Christian and you've perceived the grace of God lavished upon you in Christ Jesus, you have wisdom that is beyond compare. You know, people in our day probably don't seek wisdom as much as they did in Paul's day. Uh, But this is something that you do want to acquire. Wisdom and insight into things. This gives you, and there's nothing about educational level here. This is is where you have wisdom and insight into the very heart of the most important matters uh, that humans can acquire. This is not some minor thing. This This is insight into a mystery which was... Uh, held back by God and only revealed in a very much of a an outline form until now he has poured it out upon the world. And that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, Paul is saying God has now poured out his wisdom and insight in Christ Jesus upon us. We have all insight into the most important matters of human life. This is not a minor thing. And this is done by His grace. He has lavished or increased His grace. This word for lavished, so verse 8, which He lavished upon us. So it's His grace, which He lavished upon us. uh, Is also means to make to abound. He has caused it to increase. He has made it abound, sort of like that uh, pot of oil in the widow's home where it starts a very small amount and then all of a sudden it's filled to the brim. Uh, it's made to increase. It's like a fountain that just pours out. Grace just bubbles up and goes to the very top of the lip and spills out. This is what's, what God has done for us. He's lavished His grace uh, in, wis- in wisdom and insight. And so you find this elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. You have that same uh, st- statement, really. God is able to make his grace abound to you. This is this is what he's able to do and what he's done in Christ Jesus. So that's why we're, that's why he's praising God. God has... Made his grace abound to us. Now last week we talked about uh, grace and what that means. I don't want to get into that again in detail, but my opinion is uh, we tend to think of grace as God's unmerited favor. And the problem I have with that is it makes it sound like we're neutral, that God has given us grace, we haven't merited it. But the problem is we've merited something else. We've merited his wrath, his anger, his fury at our sin. That's what we've merited. And God pours out his grace upon us who are his enemies. If you want to see this, Romans 5 says that explicitly, that God has shown his grace to his enemies. And I want you to reflect upon the fact that on the cross... What does Jesus say regarding those people who crucified them? Him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is, this, is, this is grace for enemies. This is grace upon people who would do you harm. This is what we are called to do as well. We are to be like Him in that. This is why in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have committed debt against us, who owe us uh, In in sinning against us. So here, you have this grace, God's favor toward his enemies. If you want to see this, all you have to go, all you have to do is go to chapter 2, verse 3. We are by nature children of wrath, as are are all the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. He's poured out his grace on the children of wrath. His anger, his fury at the day of judgment, wrath for those who are guilty in the day of judgment. But, we have received grace. He has poured out His mercies and grace to us in Christ Jesus. That's why we praise Him, which He has lavished upon us. There's no no end to His uh, grace and love, His kindness to us. This This is all... Paul is pouring all this out on us, and he's telling us, this is how we praise God. We don't stop by just saying, thanks God, I had a good day, or thanks, this is is nice. But you, you start thinking about what you have in Christ Jesus. You start meditating upon the realities of knowing the great shepherd who has given himself for you, who calls you by name, who on the last day will call you by name and you will rise from the dead. This is what He's lavished upon us. He he knows you. He cares for you. He guides your life now. And in the end of, of your life, you can look at eternity and say to yourself, I have a home there. We actually sang that in one of these songs. You look ahead and you know you have a place reserved for you by the grace of God poured out upon you. In Christ Jesus, this is the confidence we have. And he's done this in the last days. Now next week we have to go to this verse 10, which is kind of what makes it all work. He's summed up everything in Christ Jesus. This is where grace is manifested in its totality. I'm not going to Tell you what I'm gonna say next week. I mean, you wouldn't come back. <laughs> but, but okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> that that all the eras, all of human history, all of the creation is summarized in Christ Jesus. That's what he's gonna tell you. That's what he says in verse 10. It's it's a kind of a shorthand way of saying that. But all things are summarized in Christ Jesus. He's the very center of created reality and in him everything makes sense this is this is who Christ Jesus is he's not some nice guy who said a lot of witty things he is the very center of creation and and he it is who in the end of the day will bring in the new creation through his word of power that's who we follow someone who has heroically gone to the cross on our behalf and who majestically has risen from the dead and in great glory ascended to the right hand of the Father. You want to see this? You read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is in, in large part simply showing you the glory of Christ, the Lamb of God, in all of His spectacular appearance and His majesty and power. This is, this is very clear in that book well, that's where, that's where what we've been talking about with grace uh, starts to make sense when we read ahead into verse 10. And this was all according to God's good pleasure. It was God's pleasure to do this. This was his will for us. Uh, that's what we read at the end of this section. Um, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Uh, he, he was pleased to do this. This was something that he had dis- determined to do this, um, and it's of his will for us. Because there are times when you think, "You know, I really don't deserve this, God's going to change his mind. You know He's going to change his mind about me being one of his people. <laughs> he's not going to change his mind. Because it was His will to call you into fellowship with Him in the in the first place. This is why we're praising Him. It was His will to lavish His grace upon you to begin with. This is why you go back to Him and the only appropriate response is praise. In those days when you think, I'm not worthy, the answer is, well, of course we're not worthy. We never have been worthy. And I'm not, you know, I'm not... Dis- dishing on us, dissing on us, whatever that word is. I'm not saying we're naz. You know, we're you're, you're not valuable. You're valuable in His sight. You're et- eternally valuable in His sight. But it's not in ourselves. It's because He has claimed us. He's made us, and then He claimed us and brought us into fellowship with Himself. And brothers and sisters, this is a great mystery that is revealed. Now, once He says mystery the scholars get all excited. Oh yeah, Paul's just engaging in mystery religions. This is just, you know, the same old stuff you get with uh, all the mystery religions of the day and Paul is simply uh, conforming this to paganism. Now, if you know anything about mystery religions, it's kind of sad, actually. So in Ephesus, they found... let Back up. In Ephesus... They have been excavating this city in um, modern day Turkey, the western side. Uh, they've been excavating this city for probably about 120 years or more um, and digging it up and you know, the archeologists get all excited when they find a pot or a pan or something. Uh, but they found some really interesting stuff um, and including in Ephesus on a hillside downtown they found some condominiums. And th- this is the only place where personal housing has been found outside of Pompeii in Italy. You know, it's buried under a volcano. This is, this is a remarkable find, and they've been excavating it. Now, I went to a conference by one of the excavators. Well, it was a conference, and one of the excavators of that hillside Uh, gave a report on what they found. And it was fascinating because they found one of these condos had a secret room um, and a secret window, and they think a statue of a god that was part of a mystery religion. So there was possibly this mystery religion practiced in this home on this hillside in Ephesus. Paul's writing to the Ephesians, so is he engaging in mystery religions? Well, here's what mystery religions are. Basically, you go at night, and they blindfold you, and then they take you into a room, like that secret room, you know, you have to crawl through a passageway, and then you see something secret, and you're sworn to secrecy, and then you leave, and now you know the secret. You know, it's like... Oh, okay. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that they do in secret. It's sort of like a frat <laughs> party, you know. It's, you're kind of thinking, isn't, it, isn't there something more? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. You know, you might learn a secret handshake. They might have some sort of secret sign, a secret word or code word. I mean, we're dealing with things where people are really reaching to find some comfort and consolation, some access to the gods. They want, they want to find out you know, the secrets of the universe and all wisdom and insight. So, brothers and sisters, here's what's happened. In all wisdom and insight, God has made known to you openly the mystery of all the ages in Christ Jesus. If you want to know the center of the universe You have it in Christ Jesus. And it's been made known to you freely. Graciously given to you. And remember who you are. Very few of you probably are Jewish. Your ancestors were not in the old covenant people of God, like my ancestors were not. We are the outsiders. We had no hope. We had no claim on God. And he lavished his wisdom and insight on us us outsiders, and then brought us in. This is what Paul says. Let me, let me read to you. This is really where he's going. He says, um, when you read about it, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been made known and revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, Fellow body members, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a servant as a gift of God's grace. The wisdom of God, the mystery of God is Christ Jesus and it's been revealed in the gospel. So it's no longer a secret. You hear it every Lord's Day. You read it in your Bibles. There's no, there's no mystery really. You don't have to crawl through Uh, some attic space, and see some statue. You have it right here in your scriptures. And you have all insight. You're not missing out on anything with that junk. Here you have all insight. Brothers and sisters, I have a friend who wrote a book called Putting Amazing Back into Grace. Probably the best title of a book ever made. I don't know about the book. I haven't read it. But, it's, but the title is worth buying it. I mean, putting amazing back into the grace. What a great title. If I'd have thought of a book title like that, maybe I would sell a book. And because of that, we are enraptured by God's grace. So you're a part of a church with men like myself, who think every Lord's Day you need to hear about grace and the gospel of Christ. Now, do I want you to grow in your sanctification and obedience by by living lives that adorn the gospel? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me read to you how that works. And I'm going to read a document from 1646 called the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 16, of good works. These good works are done in obedience to God's commandments, are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith, and by them believers manifest their thankfulness strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end eternal life. Their ability to do good works is not at all of themselves, but holy from the Spirit of God, and that they may be enabled thereunto, beside the graces that they have already received, there is required an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. So many of the words in that statement from the Westminster Confession, chapter 16, they come right out of our text. This is is what inspired those words. You have, as a result of the graces given to you in Christ Jesus. Notice thankfulness, glorifying God, and then living lives of obedience to Him as fruit of your faith. It's a fruit of faith to to walk in the good works that He has created for us. That, by the way, is Ephesians 2.10. I mean, that just comes right out of Ephesians 2.10. So, brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to take from our passage tonight. It's very simple. I want you to resolve this week to spend time praising God. And you can even memorize verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the high heavenlies in Christ. That's, that's what I want you to, to make your prayer this week. And I want, to, I want that to be so much a part of your soul and your life that you think to yourself, He has lavished so much grace on me that I have much to give because of it. Praise the Lord. He is so good to us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, blessed be Your holy name. In Christ Jesus, we have grace upon grace lavished upon us. This mystery has been revealed, a mystery no more. Now it is openly proclaimed. Help us in this church to proclaim the gospel day in and day out. As we meet, may the gospel uh, always be available and be on our lips to to share the joy and the good grace of Christ with our neighbors. And as that happens, O Lord, may we grow in our holiness, in our uh, obedience to you, in our concern to lead upright lives before you as true.